And now, on with the show. Hey everyone, and welcome to We're Watching Here! That's the only time I'm going to do that, by the way, Perry. I'll do it every episode if you want. <laughs> We're watching here! We're watching, We're watching here! here. Uh, wow, that spiked a lot on the audio. <laughs> uh, this is Opinionated Movie Talk with Chris and Perry. My name is Chris Williams. With me is my co-host, Perry Seibert. Perry, how are you doing? I'm great, Chris. How are you? I'm great. I am so excited about this. Me uh, too. When I started talking to Mark at, over at uh, Michigan Sports and Entertainment about us doing this, I, I initially knew. I wanted to do what we did on the uh, Far From Hollywood podcast we used to host. Yes. Uh, which we co-hosted for the Detroit Film Critics Society for a, a whopping four months. Um, <laughs> uh, it, it was really fun. And then I had a kid. Or my kid was born, but she was still a pain. And then I went back to school and schedules just kind of got mixed up. But uh, here we are. We're doing this again. Back together again. That's right. And for those of you who are listening, you probably have no idea what we're talking about. And that's okay. <laughs> uh, so before we get into the show, I do want to do some housekeeping. This is going to be a bi-weekly show, so we'll come out every other week. Uh, right now, you're going to find us on michigansportsandentertainment.com, but very quickly we will get out to iTunes, we will get to Stitcher, we will get to Spotify and Google Play, we'll get them all out there, um, but if you're having trouble finding us, just look at michigansportsandentertainment.com. You can find us on Facebook. We have a Facebook page where you can interact with us at We're Watching Here. Perry, i got to add you as an admin, but uh, you can interact with Perry and I on that. I already like the page. All right, that's great. You're the one. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at WatchingCast. Email us at We're Watching Here at gmail.com. And just pay attention. In a few weeks, we, we might have a Patreon going up. Um, so if this starts to be something you want to support, we will provide the avenue to take your money. And I will be very happy to do that. So, um, yeah, Perry, this is going to be fun. I can't wait, Chris. Um, I, I will say we don't know exactly what this show is either. Uh, but we will figure it out, and you will figure it out with us, and I uh, think it's going to be a good time. As we roll into this, though, I do want to know, Perry, can you tell everyone a little bit about your history as a critic? Like, let's just talk about why they should trust us, and, <laughs> and why they should listen to what we have to say. And you've been doing this a lot longer than I have. Uh, you've been a movie fan probably a lot longer than I have. Um, so if you could just give a little bit about your background. Uh, I fell in love with movies young. I think we're going to spend much of this episode talking about this, so mm -hmm. I won't give away too much too early. But professionally speaking, I started reviewing things for uh, Ann Arbor Radio in the mid, uh, late 90s. Uh, 97, I want to say, is exactly right. And then uh, uh, not long after that, I hired him with a company that was at the time All Media Guide. Uh, you might know them from the All Movie Guide or uh, All Music Guide and wrote for them for a very, 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 very long time. And uh, while I was doing that, stayed on Ann Arbor Radio, which I still do to this day and I'm proud to do so. What station is it on Ann Arbor Radio? I am currently on WLBY, the Lucy and Lance show. You can hear me every Friday morning at about 8.45-ish. All right. Well, tune in. Um, yeah, I mean, I grew up I, I grew up watching movies with family. Um, you know, it was growing up. It was a part of our life. Uh, I just had this, like, thought the other day when I was thinking about seeing movies with my son that seeing movies with your parents is this really cool thing because it puts you on their level. 
Like, you are enjoying the same thing they are. Like, my dad wouldn't take us to see all the Disney movies. Well, I mean, he would take us to see Disney movies, but it would be like The Mighty Ducks. Because he wanted to see The Mighty Ducks. And so we would go in and we would see it and we'd laugh. And it, it was fun. So I grew up loving movies. We were in kind of a religious household, which I know will come up in a ton of episodes. Um, so it was kind of these, this dangerous thing that I grew to love. Loved to write since I was in fourth grade. I was the film critic for our high school newspaper for three <laughs> years because I did not want to go out and talk to people, um, especially <laughs> if they were girls. So while they were all surfing the internet, I was writing about Broken Arrow in, uh, from the back <laughs> computer. Um, and then that just kind of spilled into a love of journalism in college. Uh, I interviewed a kid who was selling his film to Troma. And from there, I just kind of knew that writing in movies would be my thing. And I've been very fortunate to be able to do that in some capacity for the past 15 years for a variety of sites. Um, and yeah, yeah, it's, it's been great. And you can read me currently on Michigan Sports and Entertainment. On Thursdays, I write about streaming picks. So whatever you're seeing on Netflix, Amazon, uh, Hulu, whatever's out there streaming. And then on Friday, we do retro reviews where I write about old movies. And uh, this year, we're doing a couple series. Uh, one is the movies of 1999, which I know we're going to get into in a few episodes here. And then I am also going through every month one of the Batman movies from 1966 <laughs> to Justice League. So, um, so yeah, that'll be a joy and a pain, and I can't wait for it. So, so yeah, that's that's it. That's why you should trust us. And Perry and I met each other through the Detroit Film Critics Society. We we had been voting in that for years. Perry, you're still a part of that. And I'm, I am. I'm, I'm a proud member. Hoping they'll take me back next year. Now that I have a site. So, uh, so yeah, that that's who we are, and we're gonna get into our main section of the show soon, but I, I like to kick off with what are we watching? Um, kind of keep it current. We're going to talk so much about old movies that I feel like it, it's fun to talk about what we might have watched in the past few weeks. So, Perry, have you seen anything cool? Uh, I finally got out to Spider-Verse. Oh, did you? Which I had not, I had, I had just missed. It wasn't, I, I wasn't purposefully yeah, avoiding yeah. it by any means, but I just, it had gotten away from me for mm-hmm. a couple of weeks and finally went and was incredibly pleasantly surprised. Mm-hmm. Uh if for no other reason than the very simple, elegant reason that it's fun to look at. Yeah. Like, I don't even care that it's a Spider-Man story. In fact, that's a bit of a drawback for me. I'm tired of the Marvel stuff. But that was... It's such fun to look at. The animation style is this wonderful, cartoony, without being jokey. In in, in the visual sense, jokey. Outside of Spider-Ham. Yeah. It's that... Um, it's just it's just a pleasure to look at it. I haven't seen an animated film in America look like this. It's crazy. And it's great for that reason alone. On top of that, yeah, lots of really smart jokes early on. Uh, I love the very opening shot. I'm trying <laughs> to remember what that... Approved by the comics. Yes, yes. Very smart. Yes. That was really... That was very funny. I laughed out loud often, which I don't often do uh-huh. anymore at Marvel movies. Uh, not that this is technically a Marvel movie by any means. It's Sony holding on to what they have left of the rights to Spider-Man. Well, they even go back to the Tobey Maguire one in it, which I, I loved that they did that. Very smart. And, very smart. And they left out the Andrew Garfield ones, which made me happy. Very smart. Very smart, yes. Uh, and just a total surprise. I, I, that I, I, I was surprised how much I enjoyed it. It was, it's, it's, it's a good time. Oh, I'm glad you liked that. That was my pick for my favorite film of last year. <laughs> um, because honestly, I, it was visually I had not seen anything like that like you said and I saw it twice and the second time I pretty much 
I, I just tuned out about the plot and I watched the you know the little comic book effects, the onomatopoeia that would just like appear on the screen. Um, I love the dots that make it look like it was a comic book printed out. Yep. Uh, oh gosh, it looks so great. Uh, and I think it's just this is like a really good year to be a Spider-Man fan <laughs> because he uh, they they put out a Spider-Man game for PlayStation. I've been playing it with my son, and it is so much fun because it lets you feel what it's like to be Spider-Man. And I thought there could be no greater way of treating this character than letting you zip around the city and you get rewarded for doing good, but you still got to pay your mortgage or your rent on time, <laughs> uh, which is really cool. And then this movie comes out and it's just, I, it might be my favorite superhero movie ever made. I, 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 I love this movie. And so much so that uh, when they released the trailer for the next Spider-Man movie this year, this week, uh, which uh, is Spider-Man Far From Home, I, I'm a Marvel fan, and I don't know that I can go back. Like, I think this ruined me for live action. Sony it, has ruined you for and, Disney. Which is so weird, because Sony has done it, and they've been, like, just crap for the past few years. <laughs> and, yeah, I, I saw the trailer for Far From Home, and I'm like, well, that looks okay, but it's not Miles Morales, and he's not... Like, it just feels too earthbound, the colors are too muted, and... Yeah, Into the Spider-Verse ruined me for live action. <laughs> it it was a pleasure to watch it animated. I got to admit the same thing. Mm-hmm. I'm like, this is what these movies should be for me, not being a comic book guy. I, I like seeing it animated. That's far yeah. preferable. It is enjoyable. Yeah. Uh, the, the pleasure of seeing actors I like play these parts has grown stale. I'm familiar mm-hmm. with all of them. It's not that they're bad anymore. I'm just tired of the product. There's it's no way, imagination. It's, it's way too samey for me each time out. I don't believe that you're seeing director's visions ever. I, I'm. I that said, we'll get into this at another time. <laughs> I'm sure. I am stunned that uh, Fleck and Bowden made the Captain Marvel movie. I, I want to see it just to see what these two talky indie directors yeah. do with it. But uh, I, I don't have much faith that it will be nearly as interesting as any of their other films. I, I'm a shill for Marvel, so I'll, <laughs> I'm excited anyway. But, uh, oh gosh, I'm so so looking forward to the next Spider-Verse movie. <laughs> Forget Avengers and things like that. I want Spider-Verse. Um, I've been watching... Uh, they released two documentaries this week about the Fire Festival. Oh, Do yeah. Do you remember that whole debacle? Oh, yes. Years ago? Okay, well, they put out competing documentaries. <laughs> Netflix was supposed to have theirs coming out... On, as we're recording this on Friday. And Hulu beat them to the punch and put out theirs on Tuesday. And Netflix is just called Fire, F-Y-R-E. Hulu's is Fire Fraud. <laughs> and I have watched the Hulu one. I have not watched the Netflix one yet. And it's amazing. It, it's, <laughs> it's really interesting stuff. Um, I, I, I just loved the schadenfreude when the whole Fire Festival thing came out. Of watching all these social media influencers show up for their cheese sandwich. <laughs> it, it made me laugh so hard. But the movie is really, the documentary is really fascinating because it kind of puts it into a bigger context. Like, not just what happened, but our social media culture, how that was kind of the festival's making, but also its undoing because they invited all these influencers in. And then those same influencers bit him in the ass when it went bad. <laughs> but it just unpacks the fraud that went in. They interview Billy McFarland, who is the kind of genius, that evil genius, who, who ran the whole thing. He just, 
He's a sentient can of Axe body spray. <laughs> and and you, you, you don't believe a word out of his mouth, but it's always gripping. Uh, I'm really looking forward to watching the Netflix one. Have you watched either of these yet? I haven't. Okay. I haven't. I, uh, we should do a whole episode devoted to documentaries. We should. I have, a, I have a tortured relationship with them. So. Oh, we will definitely have to do that. I am in grad school taking a class on documentaries this semester uh, taught by Tom Powers, who's the head of documentaries for Toronto Film Festival. So uh, maybe we can even rope him in for the discussion. Sweet. So, I, I don't want to commit him to that, but it's on air, so he has to do it. So <laughs> We've <what> got you. <laughs> so what we're going to do on this show is we'll start off with that, and then we'll get into our main topic. And it might be a movie. We might talk about one movie in particular. We might talk about a genre. We might talk about a certain topic. I don't know. But this week, because it's our first episode, I thought it'd be fun and interesting to talk about our cinematic DNA. This is where Chris and I each slash our hands and blood brother handshake each other into the beginning, the pact that will make this podcast start. Exactly. When we're done, there will be a movie bit. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't talk about it. Don't talk about it. It's okay. No, um, they get the idea, Chris. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it, it's the idea. Like, if, if I was to commit a murder <laughs> and the only thing you knew was that the killer liked three certain movies, you would know it's me. And I, so that's kind of the thought behind this, is what is our cinematic DNA? And really, I mean, it's the three movies that best describe you. And, and there was a number of ways we could go with this. Perry, how did you choose your three? Uh, I originally thought I was going to do, and I still, uh, uh, and uh, was going to do my, th- what, what, the only three films I've ever considered my favorite film okay. at any point in my life. Uh, and then I realized when I got around to it that that one of those doesn't quite get the DNA right. Okay. <laughs> and so I swapped it out for, uh, for one of my formative movie going experiences, okay. which a film I still deeply adore. I, I pick three films that I, I truly dearly love and very much, uh, very much shaped. They were films that taught me what it is I love about film. Okay. Uh, I kind of went in a different route. I did the films that I think make up some part of my personality. And these are probably films I gravitate to a lot because they speak to me in a certain way. Or maybe they unlocked something in me as a person. And, and they kind of brought that out. So that was kind of where my mind went. But I think it's going to be really interesting to kick things off with this. Uh, so why don't you start? What was your first movie? So... Uh... Uh, uh, there, there's a story I want to tell. I want to do a cheap... I want to squeak in two others, but we'll skip that, right? We'll let that go. Okay. <laughs> We're going to start with the first film that I ever thought of as, like... Uh, 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 I saw it for the first time. I think I was... I had to have been 12, and I saw it on VHS. I did not see it in the theater. Uh, it would have been about 1985 when I had... Uh, my parents got our first VCR in fall of 84, Okay. And I remember that vividly because I recorded every episode of Saturday Night Live that year, the one season with Billy Crystal, Chris Gass, Martin Short, uh, a wonderful time for Saturday Night Live, and then started my own movie education at that point, because then I could start renting stuff yeah, and yeah. getting things. Uh, so the first film that I saw that I thought, oh, this is a movie that's not aimed at me a kid, that I gravitated towards and watched and rewatched. And fell in love with the dialogue and the characters was Lawrence Kasdan's The Big Chill. 
Okay. This is a film that that means a great deal to me to this day. I can rewatch it at any point. Uh, I I accept all of the criticisms anyone wants to throw at it for being this horrific boomer apologist film. Um, I accept all of that. I can fight it if you want and say I think it's a pretty fair assessment of any large group of friends. I have uh, I, I have probably either subconsciously or consciously built that group of friends for myself. I have that group of friends. Uh, and I, I can see, I can see us all in those characters and not that I had them all when I was 12, but obviously this film marked me in some very deep and profound way. Cause I still love large ensemble films. I love films that are talky and I love more than anything else. As much as I can talk about directors and their style and their themes, I love to watch actors act, Chris. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the first thing that brings me to almost any movie. Well, I'm not going to fight you on this one because I have not seen The Big Chill. Oh. Um, that was probably, I was like five when that came out, so I don't think my parents would have taken me to the theaters. <laughs> um, but it is funny because I think, I wonder if that kind of big ensemble movie has kind of moved to television now. You know, like people of the 80s might have had The Big Chill. I had Friends and How I Met Your Mother. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I, 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 it's been on my list for a long time. Movies I need to see. And well, I will have to lend you my copy. Well, I will have to watch the other ones you lend me first. Uh, but no, that's, that's a good start. Um, I think my first one that I had was The Muppet Movie from oh. 1979, which is still to this day, it might be my favorite movie. It, it might be. It, any given day, it's that or Raiders of the Lost Ark. And I kind of feel like... With the Muppet movie, I don't want to say I'm a 40-year-old man whose favorite movie is the Muppet movie. <laughs> but you are. But I, I am. That's good. I, this is a great movie. This is um, the DNA, people. Jim, Jim Henson was... I, I mean, I'm, I'm not rare. He was so influential in my life. Uh, I mean, he taught me to read. Yeah, any, any kid my age, they're going to say the same thing. But I think more important than that, he taught me that it, you know diversity is a good thing. You know, it's it's good to like people who are different from you. That it actually makes your life better when those people are there. Um, I think the Muppets in particular just they formed my sense of humor. I, I would not like The Simpsons if I didn't get started with the gateway of the Muppets and, and that kind of fourth wall breaking, that <laughs> anarchic humor, um, which is all on display in this movie. But it's it's also a little bit of sentiment in there. They're not cynical, and, and I think. That's what I've always loved most is it's this kind of crazy comedy that is okay to be sincere, too. Like, you can have the uh, the electric mayhem in a church singing a stupid song, and then you can cut to Gonzo singing a beautiful song in the desert about, <laughs> you know, wanting to return to the sky. And, and they both work. But I think as I've watched this more, because I, I watch this probably once a year with my kids who also love it. Um, I think what this movie really did was just instilled a belief early on that entertainment is a good thing. It, it's not trivial. It's it's a noble goal to say, I want to go out and make people happy. And I want to do it with this group of people who make me better. And and I have fun doing that with them. And I, I mean, when you start getting into the uh, the background of the Muppet movie, you find out this is a very thinly veiled biography of Jim Henson, mm-hmm. um, as Kermit's kind of running from advertisers who want to use him uh, and wanting to just do his own thing. And there's a whole song at the end of the movie 
that just is a celebration of, hey, we get to make a movie. And I, I think that's why this movie is so dear to me, is it's just this celebration of dreaming and entertaining and doing it with your friends. And yeah, I, I love the Muppet movie. It is my happy place movie. And Alligator. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it, it is my happy place. I have, uh, as much as I like it, and mm-hmm. have always always been a fan. I too was a giant Muppets fan, and we should probably to make this interesting for those listening and want to become longtime fans. I believe we figured this out. I'm like five years older than you, right? Uh, I will be forty this year. Okay, I turned forty five in September, okay, okay. so we are we are close. We're a pop culture generation yes, apart. Yes. <laughs> so the Muppets link that thankfully yes. for the two of us. I've always been a giant fan of the Great Muppet Caper. I actually I do, prefer I love that, that I lo- I to like the Muppet the movie, Muppet. but uh, the Muppet movie's great. I, uh-huh. I, I just I've always loved the. Uh, I think the humor in the Great Muppet. Caper is is so good, so consistent. Oh yeah, no, I I will not argue that I think the Great Muppet Caper is a funnier movie than the okay. Muppet movie. Yeah, it, it is a hilarious but yes, the Muppet movie is is far sweeter. Yes, purposefully. Yes. yes, yeah. Um, so yeah, Muppet movie that was number one for me. Uh, that that's that's tied into my DNA. Excellent. Uh, what's number two? What's the second strand? The second strand comes along in 1989 when I'm a young pup of 15. I will turn 16 in September of that year. So my dad and I, after my brother was born, and my brother and you are the same age. He's five years younger than I am. Uh, When my brother was born, my dad uh, took care to make sure that I was still very important and uh, took me to my first ever Tigers game. We went to a Tigers-Indians game when I was six years old. And we went to a Tiger game every year, at least one every year. Through high school. Okay. Uh, that, as I got older, turned into whole weekends where we'd go maybe on a Friday and a Saturday night or a oh, Saturday nice. night and a Sunday afternoon and get a hotel downtown and, and do this big thing up. But then, as I got older and my interest went beyond baseball, I started – movies became a big deal. We'd see two or three movies over the course of this weekend too. And it was uh, one of those one of those weekends. It was a summer in 1989, a movie I had read tons about because it was such a big deal at the Cannes Film Festival that year, uh, was Steven Soderbergh's Sex, Lives, and Videotape. Okay. And that was a thunderous movie-going experience for me. I would have been 15. I would have turned 16 probably in about a month. And uh, like The Big Chill, this was the first time I saw a film – about adults dealing with things I was nowhere close to dealing with yet. Yeah, because you would have been you said oh, yeah. 15, Oh, 16? 15, yeah, okay. not yet 16. And uh, But I felt like I understood it. <laughs> it communicated to me these emotions and this pain and this tortured dealing with yourself <laughs> that I would come to see as, oh, that's, that's the hard part of being an adult. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, that's really interesting. Um and it's led to a lifelong love affair with Steven Soderbergh for me. I, I adore the man's work uh, throughout. Not that they're all perfect by any means, but he's a director I've always returned to over and over. Uh, it's the first of the great triptych of James Spader's psychosexual nightmare roles. If you, <laughs> if you want to watch Sex, Lies, and Videotape, and then David Cronenberg's Crash, and then Secretary, you'll have a fabulous six hours on your life. And you'll, you'll understand how demented James Spader can be. So, uh, so Robert California, the early years. <laughs> exactly. No, let's not talk about the office after Corral left. But, but yeah, it's it, it is a film that I I uh, I had the pleasure to rewatch for the first time in a few years last year when Criterion put it out. Okay, and I it was a pleasure to find out I love it just as much. It's a film I know almost by heart. It's a film that once I drop in on, I 
I realize how well I know it, and it's it is it is seeped into my DNA. Uh, I said it's a film I, I dearly love to this day, and it is it is a big part. I've I've always liked things like it. I like small intimate dramas. I like I like dialogue that is. Uh, both idiosyncratic and sharp and almost minimalist. <laughs> I like films that figure out how to hit the maximum amount of emotional power with the least amount of words. <laughs> Even if we have to use a lot of words to get to there, I'm good when the payoff comes with very little. And that's that's exactly what that movie is. I, I, I just love the movie to death. That is another... I, I think you're going to have all blind spots for me. I'm really worried about that. <laughs> Um, I, I, of course, have watched a lot of Soderbergh, but I have not gotten to that. Um, that would have come out... I, I vividly remember um, going to a movie theater that was not far from here. Uh, it was the Telex 12 on, uh, on Telegraph Road, and it was showing at a movie theater when I went to the movies, and I remember the title stuck in my head because, you know, sure. Jack, and I was 10, and I'm like, what? That's a weird word. Uh, but we were going to see Ghostbusters 2. And... Uh, <laughs> So, uh, so yeah, my, my cinematic upbringing was not as, uh, <laughs> as great, but, um, but if you like small indie movies and, and movies that are very talky, I think my second one ties in very well. Um, and this is probably not a surprise for anyone who knows me, and I definitely know it's probably not a surprise for you, because we've talked about some of these movies before. Uh, for me, it's Before Sunrise. Oh. And oh. here's the thing with Before Sunrise. Oh. It's not my favorite Linklater movie. I don't even think it's the best movie in the trilogy. <laughs> but when I think about the movies that are tied most into my personality, I think Before Sunrise is so so tied in with who I was becoming as a young adult, kind of what I wanted from life, uh, what I thought about relationships. Um, here's a fun fact about me. I just like to ride trains across Europe <laughs> and, and pick up women. Um, <laughs> this... <laughs> This is Richard Linklater's 1995 film. Um, his third. His third film. And uh, the first of a trilogy with Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy. I love the whole trilogy. I think the second film is about as perfect a movie as you can get. I think it's the best film of the 2010, of the, I, of the aughts. I would, I don't know if I would go the whole decade, but it's definitely the best film of that year for me. Um, That's a good year, too. 2004. Yeah, yeah. Strong year. And... I, I think what this love was, I, it, it is right in my wheelhouse, too, of I just love movies where people talk. I love yeah. pe movies where people yeah. have smart conversation. And there's just something really great about watching good actors say good dialogue, and you feel like there is an actual conversation happening. They're not, they're not just giving you exposition. They're not just giving you plot. They are giving you windows into their characters' souls. And, and I love that. And I just, I love to sit and watch this movie and just fall back into the rhythms of their conversation. Um, I love, as I go back and rewatch it, and I watch these movies probably once a year, um, how what I initially thought was just kind of a movie filmed on the fly and, oh, let's just pick up conversations, is so meticulously thought oh, out. Yes. And just... Oh the, yeah. There there's that sequence in the recording booth that I love where they just <laughs> are kind of one looks at the other and the other looks away and it's so meticulously planned out and it's so great. <laughs> and then I think we've had this conversation. If you go all the way to before midnight, 
They're fighting about the same shit they're talking about in that movie. The entire groundwork for the fight that is the last yeah. 45 minutes of Before Midnight is what they talk about in the first 15 minutes on the train. It's it's stunning how well that, that the entire series is put together. And I can't imagine there's a there's a version of this podcast where we don't eventually talk about this whole trilogy. So, oh, I'm sure. So I'll leave that. But I think the We only thing, have to hold out a few more years for the fourth one. I'm sure it'll happen. We'll see. I feel like when that Criterion thing came out, I, to me that felt like, okay, it, it's a trilogy. It's done. But we can save that for another uh, episode. Um, but what I think really gets me about this one is there's a line that Celine has in it. And, and it kind of it, it has influenced how I approached relationships and... And dealing with other people, and she says, if there's any kind of magic in this world, <laughs> it must be in the attempt of understanding someone, sharing something. It's almost possible, impossible to succeed, but who cares, really? The answer must be in the attempt. Which I feel is kind of the thesis for Richard Linklater's whole career, um, is just these conversations between people. But I feel like that's kind of the joy of life, is having <laughs> conversations that stretch out for hours, and... All you've done is sat at a coffee shop, but something magical's happened. Uh, there's some reason why my wife and I sat at a Starbucks for three hours one night, and then ten months later we're engaged. Like, there, there's something that happens in those. That quote I used in full at the very beginning of my Before Sunset review. Okay. At AMG. I, I, I agree entirely. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's a fantastic I have never heard a better statement of intent from an artist. Yeah. In their work. And, and I think you can see that in almost all of his films. All his personal films, at least. Like, I, I don't think it's in Bad News Bears. But, you know, maybe it is. <laughs> I, I don't really want to go back and see. But um, but maybe it is. But I think that's why I like Linklater so much, too, is he he just loves to let his characters talk. And he has such empathy for it. Like, there's almost a conversation between him and his characters going on. And, yeah, I, I love him. He's He's... Possibly my favorite working filmmaker. Um, I don't know. That's that's a whole other day. But uh, what is your third strand of DNA? It's a perfect lead-in for me, Chris, because my third is my favorite working director. Oh, okay, okay. And has been my favorite working director for a very long time. Uh, this is the film that is my uh, my answer to what is your favorite film? What's the best film ever made? What's your favorite film? It's it's Martin Scorsese's Taxi Driver. Okay, yeah. Which and is, I, it's not a blind spot for me. Which is... Uh, simply the greatest piece of 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 underplayed character development you'll ever see in your life this is a film that doesn't tell you anything about the main character Mm -hmm. nothing you know he's been in the military you know he probably has parents that's about it (laughs) everything else is all whatever you glean from behavior and from his interactions and he, I, I, it's why the film is an utter mystery each and every time. I, it's why I can sit down and be sucked in by it's 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 a perfect it's a perfect film. <laughs> it's not the only perfect film. It's a perfect film uh, for so many reasons. Uh, right now, on my mind is thinking about how it is the perfect collision of Scorsese's Catholicism with Paul Schrader's Calvinism. Paul Schrader, of course, wrote the script, and it's mm-hmm. very much his story. But, you know, Schrader... He's still telling that story. He's been telling that story. His, his best films are that story over and over again. <laughs> they tell one of those stories again in, in 1999 with Bringing Out the Dead. <laughs> um, 
but and it's 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 such a great it's such a great nod to a, a lot of classic cinema. There's a you know it, there are obvious parallels to the Searchers in it that aren't there for any thematic reasons other than Scorsese's just absorb the Searchers mm-hmm. and can't help but kick it back out a little bit. It's it's not there to show off. It's there because. It's in his DNA. And now it's in mine. And yeah. that's how this beautiful art form works for generation after generation, Chris. I, I kind of knew you were going to pick this movie. Oh, of course. I, I mean, it's your, it's your profile pick on Facebook. Yes. Um, yeah. And it, it is a great movie. Uh, it's funny. I didn't see this until... I mean, it's, it's been 10, 15 years since I first saw it. But I always had this idea that it was a... I don't know, like a horror movie or, a, you know, just a really exploitative movie growing up. Like, that was kind of the vibe I got around Sure, that. because that was the movies that were being made at the time, and it certainly is pitched as that. Yeah. That's what they want. That is the type of film it is and then you letting see, you think it might be. You see it, and it's such a... Uh, it, it's sad. It's such yeah. a lonely movie, and I know... Like, I, I, it's a little dangerous to say I know Travis Bickles, but I do. Like, the guy who just is that square peg trying to fit into the round hole who cannot figure out how to connect, who is just inwardly seething with rage. And there's that shot. I know Ebert's written about this before where he's getting rejected on the payphone. Yeah. And even Scorsese can't look at it. <laughs> just shift that camera to the right. Let's look down the hallway. This, this hurts too much. Yeah. Yeah, that, that is a great pick. That's a that's a great movie. And I think growing up, I always had heard of that, too, as this is what a great movie is, is Taxi Driver. That's always what it was pitched. Yeah. And I don't, I can't argue with that. It is a great movie. It's, and I will say, it's it's one of the few films, I'm trying to think about my favorite films ever. And it's like, if I, my, if I ever got to vote in the Sight and Sound poll, mm-hmm. you know, my, my ten films of all time. Call us. That's one of the few films that I saw... Before I was able to understand how great it was, I mean, I saw it as a, I saw it as an older teenager, you know, after I got the VHS, after I could rent things, and I must have seen it three or four times. But it wasn't until it wasn't until you know I went and studied film in college. It wasn't until I was at U of M, absorbed in the history of film, yeah. for it to land and go, oh my god, this is why this is mm-hmm. truly amazing, and it's been my favorite film ever since about my junior year of college. It's like, oh, this is, no, this, I understand why this works so well (laughs) and why I keep going back to it over and over and that it's not about, it's the film that broke me away from having to say that, it's the film that defies the the definition of entertainment (laughs) as we are fed it as young kids and what movies should be. Not that it's not entertaining, but it is not. No, if you go in that looking for, looking to cheer is, on a guy who's blowing away right. drug dealers, that's it, not the movie. Right, it is not Death Wish. Yeah. It is, but it is not. And that's, you know, it it's taught death me that. Death soul? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Mean, really, it's the thing. Absolutely. Um, it's a religious drama, as all Scorsese films are. Well, that is an awesome segue, the word of religion, because that does lead into my third, which... I guarantee I think this is my first time talking about in any medium. Ooh, I'm so excited. Um, I don't know what this is. We have, it, not, we have not discussed this ahead of time. No. Uh, and it's a, it's a documentary, actually. Um, it is a documentary called Into Great Silence. And I don't know if you've ever even heard of this movie. This is a uh, documentary by Philip Groening, um, released in 2005, I believe. And what he did is in 1984... 
he he contacted the uh, the Cartesian monks in France in, in the French Alps and said, you know, these are monks who take a vow of silence and they're in this beautiful monastery in the French Alps. And he said in 1984, I want to make a movie about you guys. I want to make a documentary. And they said, you know, we have to consider this. Uh, let us pray about it. Let us think about it. 16 years later, <laughs> they get back in touch with him and said, okay, we're ready. And he went out there and he, he lived with these monks. And this documentary is a three-hour, almost completely wordless documentary. <laughs> and it's just observing life in this monastery. And occasionally the uh, the monks have a time where they're allowed to uh, be freed from their vow, so they'll talk a little bit. But for the most part, it might be just rain falling and observing the monks as they make, I think it's wine, they make very good wine. Um, it observes them as they go about their day-to-day -day business or just sitting there. And I watched this, and the only way you can watch this movie is straight through. Like you cannot take a bathroom break, you cannot turn off, because you will miss the experience. Because what it does is it opens your eyes to, oh, being silent and introspective is hard. <laughs> and... But when you give yourself over to it, it's 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 a, it's a movie that I would describe as a spiritual experience. And I'm a I'm a person who's very spiritual and, and a person of faith. And to me, this gets beyond you know what you know the crap they call Christian movies and stuff to say, all right, what if, what if you just sit? What if you just sit and contemplate the universe and you can contemplate God? And to me, that that's an experience. That's that's sitting there going, why is it so hard for me to be silent? Why can't I? tune out other voices? Why can't I just focus on a tree one day? And it's amazing that we have this art form that lets us do that, that, that lets us just sit in silence. I mean, I guess you could go out and look at a tree. But, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, that, that gives you a window into these people's lives. So you're ne I'm never going to go to the French Alps and meet a monk. Um, but, but it lets... It lets me see their life and lets me consider, oh, this this is what this vow means for them. But also in my life, it tells me, take more time, be quiet, be introspective. Think about, you know, the fact that there is more to my life than going to work every day and putting food on the table and rushing from, you know, home to office to home to bed. Um, it, it It's just a miraculous movie, honestly. It is... I've seen it once because you have to be in the right mindset, but it has never left me. It is an amazing movie. It used to be on Amazon Prime. I don't know if it's still there, but I think you can track it down fairly easy. That's great. Uh, that's Integrate Silence. Um, it's a blind spot for me, Chris. Yeah, I will have to check it out. It's a blind spot for most people. <laughs> um, I, I would say, I, I wonder if people will go and have uh, Integrate Silence viewing parties now. Um, you just... <laughs> Break out your French wine and uh, <laughs> vow of silence, and yeah, you got a party going. Uh, yeah, Netflix and meditate. Um, <laughs> so that's our that's our cinematic DNA, and I, I want to hear what all of yours are because that that's that's going to be amazing. It's to hear what we missed or what we might need to catch up on. So email us, find us on Facebook, tweet out to us. Um, Tweet out to us using the hashtag CinematicDNA, and we'll get the conversation going. I'd like to read some of these on the, you know, another podcast. So, um, so yeah, keep them coming. Was there anything you considered but left off? 
there were two very formative movie-going experiences when I was much younger. Uh, uh, and one of the films you mentioned, which is Raiders of the Lost Ark, okay. which is uh, a film I, I, I still dearly love. Oh, I love Not so much any of the sequels, but very much the first one. <laughs> uh, and actually, uh, The World According to Garp, was a huge seminal That's experience for me. That's what I thought you were going to have. That's, I had a, yep. I, I had a profound experience at that movie at, at in the theater. I was seven. I was a huge Robin Williams fan. There's a hint of what might be an upcoming topic. Uh, and uh, my parents, who uh, who uh, let me see everything when I was growing up, but I watched it with them. It was very. It was you know we talked about stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, I saw it. There was stuff I'm sure I didn't understand, but there's a shot in that film where. Uh, their their youngest son is killed in a car accident, and George Roy Hill, who shot it, chooses to let you hear the sound of the accident. Where the picture then goes into a, the shot goes into a freeze frame, and they push in on the face of the child who dies, and they cut to black. And when that happened in the theater, I remember thinking at the time, "Oh, he's dead." No one had told me that. No one had said that on the screen. We hadn't seen his dead body on the screen. And then in the next scene, you find out, yes, that's exactly what's happened. And later, not at that moment, I realized, oh, the movie did that. <laughs> they put together sounds and images to make me understand something that they didn't show me or tell me. Which, uh, you know, and that was the moment where I was like, oh, this is an art form. This is a powerful way to communicate. How old were you when that happened? I, uh, when I realized yeah, that, yeah, yeah. a few years later. I mean, I had to have been like 11 or 12. I had to okay. when I started watching a lot of stuff. But it, the movie always stuck with And maybe it was, maybe it was when I rewatched it, probably, on VHS. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to bet that's probably when it was. Probably the second or third time I went back to it. When you were 11, you put together what it took uh, <laughs> film theorists four decades to figure out. <laughs> and, and I actually still argue. Yeah, but I couldn't that. explain it. I couldn't know yeah. how they did yeah. it. No, theory's a whole nother thing. I just realized that's what the art form can do. <laughs> Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything I left. I know there were a bunch I left out because, hint, hint, they might come up on the next episode. Um, <laughs> but, uh, because we're talking about some very formative movies for me in the next one. But, um, I'm trying to think if there's anything I left off. I, I know I debated whether to cheat and do the whole before trilogy. Um, but, and then before sunrise, before sunrise felt like the right one for me. Um, I think Last Temptation of Christ. If I, I, I almost replaced oh. Into Great Silence with that. Um, I am sure that will come up. I've written about that before and why that movie's so important to me. But it was kind of my first time understanding movies could be dangerous and they could. They were not just entertainment. People got angry about them. And <laughs> rather than scare me, which I think was my church's intent, uh, it made me really curious about movies. <laughs> and uh, so, so that's that's a movie that. It's not my favorite movie of all time. I don't even know if it would make it top 10 or 20, but it is easily the most important movie in my life um, because it probably kick-started the whole, uh, the whole love of movies and just thinking about them as more than an art or than an entertainment. That's great. Um, so we're going to head out in a minute, but I want to start. We started by saying, what are we watching lately? I want to talk and see, uh, what are you looking forward to? Gosh. Uh, I'll be very honest. This is a very, 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 very cheap answer. The Criterion Channel. <laughs> I was uh, no, all in. I was all in on Filmstruck from day one. Mm-hmm. I loved that service beyond belief. Uh, I was. I'm going to go ahead and just use the word heartbroken when they announced that uh, Warner was taking it away from us. Yeah. Uh, and was thrilled when a few days later Criterion announced 
exactly what had happened, which is that they're going to allow them to have access to the library all the same. It's just that Criterion themselves are taking over the actual act of streaming it to you and not having Warners do it. Uh, it's supposed to come back in the spring. I have already signed up to be a charter member. I highly recommend you do so. You get a pretty deep discount, 10%. Nothing Ooh. to sneeze at for a year-long subscription. How as much does a 10% discount bring it to? It will bring it to it's $90. $90? For a year. Yeah, that's not, that's quite reasonable that's, for for the best film library on. on the planet. That's as good as it can get, folks. Yes, but does it have Stranger Things? Uh, <laughs> no, and that's why it's the finest <laughs> film library on the planet, yes. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it. Uh, Criterion recently announced um, their April picks. Yes, they did. Out, Which one? And, um, a Face in the Crowd. Oh, so good. I, I love that movie. I, I so good. snatched that up. I have that on a... There was like a hundred disc uh, movie collection that Warner Brothers put out a few years yep. ago. And I snatched that thing up last Christmas. It was on sale for like 60 bucks. Take it. And, uh, and that's one of the movies in there. And if you can find that on Amazon, by the way, find that, that is not just movies that were originally released through Warner Brothers. Citizen Kane was not a Warner Brothers movie, but it's in that disc. Yeah. Um, Citizen Kane, Casablanca, singing. I mean, that's 60 bucks right there that's worth it. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, you're also talking. I mean, you, you got Nolan's Batman movies. What more do you need? Oh, I'm sorry. Lord of the Rings? They're all. I might have gone without the Lord of the Rings. Here's one of my favorite trivia questions Do you know, adjusted for inflation, what the biggest hit in the history of Warner Brothers is? Adjusted for inflation. No one ever guesses this. Yeah, because I want to say. Um... I bet it's in that collection. Well, Gone with the Wind is in that collection, is the problem. Mm, yeah, that was MGM. Yeah. It was not Warner Brothers. Uh, Casablanca? Nope. Singing in the... No, that was MGM. Nope, you gotta go. Uh, we'll play this game uh, closer to now. Oh, God, if it's The Dark Knight, I'm gonna be upset. Before that. Closer to now. Um... Closer than Casablanca, but earlier than, than The Dark Knight. I'm really bad with knowing what studios released the film. <laughs> I um, know. This is why this is an unfair game. So I'm going to say the 1989 Batman. It's <laughs> The Exorcist. Really? Yes. Okay. Well, that's a good one. I'd be okay with that. <laughs> I like The Exorcist. Um, for me, oh gosh, mine is not as highbrow as the Criterion channel. Uh, I should also let you know, you're probably hearing this first weekend of February. Uh, we are recording this a few weeks before. So you might be wondering, Chris wants to run out and see a movie that I already saw two weeks ago. <laughs> well, shut up. Um, <laughs> we also don't know the Oscar nominations we when we're recording this, Oscar. which I can't wait for. That's what I should have answered. That's what I can't wait for is Tuesday, Tuesday for the Oscar nominations. Maybe we'll have to do a Skype on that one. Um... <laughs> I'm looking forward to Glass. I, I gotta say, I I know the reviews have been really bad, and Shyamalan is so spotty, but I have been waiting... <laughs> That's kind. I've been waiting 19 years for Glass. I, I, I loved Unbreakable. I, I think it might be the last time I've liked Bruce Willis in a movie. Um, I, I loved Samuel L. Jackson's first superhero movie before uh, The Last Eleven. Um, I, I liked Split a lot. I, I thought Split was a lot of fun and really surprising for, for what it was. Um, I know it's going to break my heart. I know it's going to let me down, but I'm not missing this one. Um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to Glass. And you've I, got me on a search for Bruce Willis films after that. Yeah, so I, I know. I come up with anything. No, it's, that's, it's bad. There's probably it's, one I'm missing, but that is like, that's... 
When was that? Ninety. So two thousand. Two thousand. It was his two thousands. That bet. It might have been. Oh gosh, he's, he's not been. No, I know. I'm scrolling through the IMDb here. It's interesting. Let's see if we can come up with anything. Well, you know, Bandits wasn't horrible. Nothing to write home about. Uh, uh, the Ocean's Twelve cameo is pretty funny. I'll give him that one. And uh, he's fine and utterly forgettable in Fast Food Nation. Yeah, yeah, I got nothing else. Yeah, I got nothing else. So tune in next week when we uh, talk about Bruce Willis's post Die Hard career. And <laughs> Looper? Are we going to give him Looper? Oh shoot! Yeah, you are right. I will give him Looper. I won't, but that's fine. If you want to, I'm Looper. good. But that's fine. I, I will give I'm him a, Looper. He's not the best thing in Looper. <laughs> he's not the best thing in Looper, but I, I like Looper a lot. Um, yeah. Uh, so that's it for this first episode. Um, we ended it on the sad Ooh, note. G.I. Joe Retaliation. Oh, my gosh. Oh, oh. The cold light of day. Oh, I, uh, red. I kind of <laughs> liked red from what I remember. But that's really, that's about as good as it gets with Just Bruce for Helen Mirren. That, that really it gets to where I've been with Bruce Willis in the last 20 years. <laughs> I think I liked that. I don't remember. Like, that's that's about as positive as he gets. Um, I think it could be summed up by the 2008 film he did with Robert De Niro titled, What Just Happened? Put him boom. And with that, we will end the podcast. Perry, where can people listen to your uh, thoughts on movies? You can find me every Friday morning at the Lucy and Lance Show on WLBY at about 8.40 in the morning. You can find me on Twitter at Perry Loves Film and Facebook. I very much like the Facebook, Chris. I know it probably makes me a Russian agent, but I can't help it. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm a comrade. I love Facebook, too. Uh, so you can find me on Facebook. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Mere Christianity. And you can find me uh, writing on Thursdays and Fridays at Michigan Sports and Entertainment. And then we already told you you can find us online, but we are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with uh, Watching Cast on Twitter and Instagram, and we're watching here on Facebook. So we will be back in two weeks, and in two weeks we will be talking about the year 1999. We are going to party like it's 1999.